Well, welcome back. We're continuing with our series. We're in the middle of a series called Fight Club. We're talking about spiritual warfare. We ain't playing around, y'all. Come on. We ain't playing around. Last weekend, my wife and I and one of our kids, the other two couldn't, well, no, only one of them came to church. The rest of us played hooky last week, and we, we turned the, the preaching, teaching responsibilities over to Jennifer Glasscock. How many of you enjoyed Jennifer's message last week? Woo! I had one lady tell me that was a therapy session. I said, well, you get Jennifer one-on-one, it might be a little different than that, but man, that was powerful. I went and listened to her message on, um, on our OSC app this week, and man, wow. Just deep, just rich. So I encourage you, if you've missed any of the messages for this series so far, download our app, our OSC Connect app. You can go to oscconnect.com and listen to any previous messages. I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to do that because this series kind of builds off of each other. So each message kind of builds off of the other one, and you need to get the whole picture. Amen? Amen. So today, I want to bring you round three of the Fight Club And I want to take off where Jennifer left off last weekend. She said something in her message about the posture of a believer and how believers should have good posture. I'm not talking about just how you stand and sit in a chair. Every believer should have a good, solid posture that you fight from. In week one, we talked about how we fight from victory and not for victory. So we're not trying to accomplish anything that hasn't already been accomplished, right? So we fight from that place of victory. And today we're going to talk about our posture, our stance, and how do we stand properly as Christians? Because how many of you know all hell has broken loose against you? Right? And the enemy's goal for you is to kill, steal, and destroy. It has not changed. It will not change. That's his goal for you. That's all he cares about you is to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. That's all he wants. He doesn't want anything else. He don't take a day off. He don't like you. The reality is he don't like the Jesus inside of you. He don't like the Holy Ghost living inside of you. He don't like the power that the Holy Spirit gives you. He don't like that. So today, I want to take off with that thought about posture, and I want to talk about being sure-footed. As a believer, we need to be sure-footed. Christians have been slipping for too long. We need some sure-footing. So let me define posture for you real quick. It's a particular way of dealing with or considering something. It's an approach. It's an attitude. It can also be described as how a person stands. So question, when the enemy throws everything that he's got at you, how do you stand? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Do you expect it to come or does it get you by surprise every time? Because the last time I read my Bible, it told me, pay attention, (laughs) right? It told me, be ready. It told me my enemy walks around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour, which means I need to be ready. I don't need to be surprised. I need to be ready. In fact, I need to surprise the enemy with my preparedness. (laughs) So I want to show you something about the armor of God this morning real quick from the beginning with with, with, with what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to use the amplified version because I just love the way it says it. 
But it's, it's Paul in verse 15 of chapter 6. He's talking about, he's in the middle of describing the armor of God. He's using some Roman soldier imagery to describe the armor of God. And he gets to this place where he's, he's describing and he's talking about each piece. And then he gets to the shoes. Anybody ever just kind of been like, what's up with the shoes? Anybody? Am I the only one? Like, like shoes. Like we can't fight barefooted. Like shoes. And, then, and so look at what it says. <clears throat> Paul says it this way. And having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation. How do I strap the gospel on my foot? How do I strap the gospel of peace on my feet? Like, how does that actually happen? Like, because I, I believe it's true, but I need to know how to do it. Would you agree? Yeah. Like, I, I need to know how to get the shoes on. Like, why, why the shoes got to be called the gospel of peace? You ever wonder that? Or am I the only one? Pray for me. Because y'all looking at me like I'm weird. True, I am weird. I'll take that. Just play it. So having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation, watch this in, in, in quotations, he says, to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and the steadiness produced by the good news. We got to be ready. We got to be stable. When the storm comes, are you going to get thrown out the boat? Are you going to stay in the boat? What's going to happen? You need to be ready for when the enemy throws everything he can at you. You need to be prepared. In fact, from the day you gave your life to Jesus until right now, you should have started preparing and continued to prepare for the battle. You should be getting better at the battle every day. You know how great warriors are made? They're made with every battle. Great warriors aren't made in the classroom. They're made on the battlefield. Amen? Amen? So, so it's the, simply put, it means this, that the gospel, the good news that saved you is the very thing that will give you sure footing when in a battle. Amen. So it's the gospel. He's talking about you need to strap the gospel to your feet, the good news. So, so let's unpack that for a minute because I just I still don't know. Like, how do you do that? How do you put the good news on your feet? And why? Why do you put the good news on your feet? What does the good news do? Well, first let's describe what the good news is. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you could come back into a relationship with God so you wouldn't be an enemy of God anymore, but now you would be a friend of God. The good news is, is that he adopted you into his family. He picked you. He chose you. You're hand-picked, hand-chosen to be a part of his family. The good news is, is the kingdom of God is invading the kingdom of darkness here on this planet. It's all the good news. You got to build your life on the good news. So if you're born again today, like right now, if you're already born again, congratulations, give yourselves a hand, you chose a side. And one of y'all clapping, come on people. 
If you're born again, you chose a side. If you're not born again, you chose a side. It's just the wrong side. But that's okay. We can straighten it up today too. You're going to leave here different today. Come on. You walked in one way. You're going to walk out another. Amen? So look at what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, the world would love you as one of its own if, if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out, say out, out of the world so that it hates you. You know why we're living in the world we're living in today? The one we've all been complaining about? It's because the church has quit trying to please God and started trying to please people. We're trying to be friends with the world and not have any enemies because we don't like for people to hate us, but the Bible said they're going to hate you anyway. So the church just needs to be who the church is and stop worrying about what the world thinks. Amen? So Jesus is confident in his decision when he chose you. And the last time I checked, he's not changing his mind about you. <laughs> Though the enemy would try to convince you when you fail, when you sin, when you make mistakes, when you're stubborn, when you're prideful, when you don't listen and you want to do it your way, he still made up his mind about you. And he's not changing his mind. So Paul uses a picture of a shoe, a Roman soldier's shoe. Let me, let me show you what that shoe looks like. <clears throat> this is one bad shoe. Nike can't even make this. I mean, this is one bad shoe. You see them spikes in that shoe? It'll mess you up. It'll mess your grill up, mess your arm up. Then the enemy can knock you on, your, on your back, and you can still get him with your shoes. Come on, somebody. That's them kind of shoes that when you kick somebody with them, you go, your mama. And they leave walking different, right? But there's spikes in those shoes. They didn't wear these shoes in their mama's house, though. They took the shoes off. But when they went outside, they put the shoes back on. Right? Because mama break your nose, you go in the house with them shoes on. <laughs> there were spikes. You know what the spikes did? The spikes gave the soldiers confidence. The shoes gave them stability. They didn't have to worry about where they were walking. Am I going to step on a stone while I'm fighting? Am I going to step in a hole while I'm fighting? Am I going to lose some traction and slip and fall? They didn't have to worry about that. Once they put the shoes on, they didn't have to worry about standing anymore. Dear Christian, when you put the gospel on and you get it deep down in your heart and the enemy comes at you and people say stuff about you, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You don't have to lose a wink of sleep over that anymore because you're solid. You're sure-footed. You're not being pushed back. You're not stepping on something crazy. You're sure-footed. So when he comes in like a flood, when he comes at you with everything that he's got, you ain't got to move. The shoes gave the soldiers freedom to fight and not worry about standing. Mm. They didn't have to look down at the terrain they were fighting on to be careful not to step on something. There's a whole religion out there that is that their main focus is to just not sin. 
Okay, how does that advance the kingdom? Am I going to live my life just to try to be perfect? No, I need to, I need to not sin. That's important. But I, that doesn't need to be my main focus, right? I don't need to be walking through life, looking at my feet. Okay, every step has to be perfect. Oh my gosh, every step. He's called me to fight. He gave me the good news. What's the good news? Even when I miss step, he's going to forgive me. He's going to cleanse me. He's going to set my feet back on the rock. I'm going to learn something from it. I'm not going to sin like that again. I don't have to worry about where I'm stepping. My feet are solid. My life is built on the gospel. It's built on what Jesus did for me. I'm on the right team. My name's in the book. God don't have any racer. My name's in the book. How many of you can still walk outside barefooted? Come on, be honest. You're in church. Not many. Not many. When you was a kid, though, you could run across the driveway barefooted, huh? You had a callus that thick on the bottom of your feet if you was like me. We could run, we could run across a shell driveway with sharp edges, not even get a cut. I can't even walk on the grass today because they got them little stickers. You know them little stickers I'm talking about? Oh, my God, them stickers are demonic. They're not going to be in heaven. We can go barefooted in heaven, but not here, not in South Louisiana. But there's a big difference between walking around barefooted and walking around with shoes on, right? When you got shoes on, you can step in anything and it don't really matter. But when you're barefooted, you almost got to tiptoe, don't you? Challenge, challenge for you. Go home, take your shoes off, and I double dog dare you to go walk in the grass. And if that don't kill you, go walk in the driveway. See if you make it. In the gravel. Limestone with edges. Everybody going to be limping next week. Mad at me. So the shoes of peace keep us from slipping into some things. And I want to share those with you today. Here's, here's 10 things. There's more, but I think these 10 are very important this morning. These are 10 things that the, the shoes of peace will keep you from slipping into. The first one is it'll keep you from slipping into questioning God's love for you. When the gospel is solid in your heart, you don't question if God still loves you anymore. That's peace. That's peace be still. That's the kind of peace you build your life on. I don't, I don't worry no more if God loves me. I hadn't had that thought in many years. It keeps you from slipping into unbelief. God, are you real? God, do you exist? It keeps you from slipping into worry. It keeps you from slipping into fear. Anxiety. It keeps you from slipping into disappointment. You might get disappointed, but that ain't your home no more. I don't live disappointed anymore. It'll keep you from slipping into depression. Discouragement. Temptation. And the last one, and Jennifer nailed this one last week, nailed it. The shoes of peace will keep you from slipping into agreement with the enemy. 
Because as a shepherd over the flock, what I get tired of hearing is people of God who are filled with his spirit quoting what the enemy's been telling them. They've, they've somehow come into this place of agreement because they hear the enemy more than they hear God and they start to agree that it's okay and this is who they are and this is who they'll be the rest of their life. Yeah, you was a cool one time, but you're not a cool anymore. Your cool in days is over. We need to disagree with the enemy and agree with what God says about us. So good news, when you got saved, you got you a pair of shoes. Everybody gets shoes. You get some shoes, you get some shoes, you get some shoes. Everybody's got saved, got shoes. The more you start to get a revelation and a deep understanding of the gospel, you might not get it right from the get-go, but the more you grow in your understanding of the gospel, the good news, and this big old massive thing that God did for you, you start to put spikes in them shoes. And then you know what happens? You start to get firmer footed. You start to stay sure in your footing. You don't slip like you used to. You don't sin like you used to because you realize it's bigger than my sin. It's bigger than my failures. People's words don't affect you like they used to. They talk bad about you, say you look ugly, say your hair's bad your breast stank and everything and you're just standing there with a big smile on your face Lord bless you and keep you may I send you to him early <laughs> so the more you understand your salvation the more you understand the good news the more spikes you drive into those shoes and when you put those shoes on the enemy doesn't push you back anymore you push back against him and what used to tear your life up doesn't even bother you anymore. What's sad is when you see a Christian who, who used to struggle with this, but, the, but then five years from now, they're still struggling with this. I want to go, baby, put your shoes on. Get you some spikes. Put some spikes in them shoes. Dig into the word. Get a greater understanding of the good news. Build your life on this thing and you'll learn how to stand and what you used to fall to and what you used to tumble to, you won't tumble anymore. So shoes give you confidence so there's no need to worry about missteps. Christians should be confident. Thank you for those two amens. Christians should be confident. Amen. You're not a whipped puppy. You're not a beat down slave. You're a child of God. You've been given life, a new life. Your old is gone, the new has come. It's time to start living that way, amen? You should be confident in who your daddy is. And how much he loves you. So how do we put these shoes on? That's what I love about y'all. Y'all ask great questions. How do we put these shoes on? I'm going to give you four ways to put the shoes on this morning. You ready? I'm not. Number one, <clears throat> you need to know whose you are. You need to know who you belong to. You need to know whose you are. Who do you belong to? 
Remember, that day you met Jesus, that day he interrupted your life, and you had that, that massive experience with Jesus and you were born again, you chose a side. You, you declared to the world and to the, all the heavens who I belong to now, and you need to know who you belong to. Amen? Every Christian on this planet needs to know whose they are. Because here's the truth, the better you understand God, the better you understand yourself. Because the more I get to know God, the more I get to know me. Some days that's good, some days that's not so good. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, watch what he hits it straight from the, the first chapter of Ephesians Listen to these words. This is massive. He says, even before he made the world, <laughs> God loved us and chose us. Before he even made a place for you to stay, he loved you and he chose you. Come on, it's got to get deep. It's got to get deep in your heart. Even before the world was made, he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. <laughs> Newsflash, God didn't have to, he wanted to. He don't have to love you. He wants to. And you know what it does when he loves you? It gives him great pleasure. That means he's pleased to love you. He's pleased about you. I don't know if I believe that. I got stuff, pastor. I got some issues. I got some junks in my trunk. I don't know if God's pleased with me. You mean he's pleased with me? Listen to me. God sees the beginning from the end. Amen. He knows the start and he knows the ending and he knows all the in-between. God is pleased with you. His pleasure is bigger than your failures. That's the only way you get out of your failures. <laughs> he wanted to do it. And it gave him great pleasure. Let me give you some application for that. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. For the love of God, read your Bible. I just had to get a new one because the last one was flaking off. It was pleather. This one's leather. Le, le starts with an L, not a P. Leather. So when this one starts flaking, y'all gonna know I've been in the Word. Read your Bible. It's important to read your Bible. When you read your Bible, you learn about God. You learn about Jesus. You learn about the Holy Spirit. You learn about all the people that are in the Bible. And you learn about you. But then it, it just doesn't stop there. So don't just read your Bible. Do what it says. Because when you read it, you learn something. When you do it, you experience something. Oh, experience is better than learning. Come on, somebody. I don't care if you got a degree. Can you actually dig the ditch? <laughs> Amen? Show me. <laughs> Show me you can dig that ditch. 
Spend lots of time in prayer. You, get to, you need to get really familiar with God's voice. Pay attention to your thoughts about God. Last week, Jennifer told you to write down all the lies that the enemy's been telling you. And that's something you need to do temporarily. You don't need to do that for the rest of your life because you don't need to give him that much attention. But you do, need to, you do need to take record of all the lies that he's telling you so you can pray against them and you can stand against them and you can cancel them out with some truth, right? But what you need to do for the rest of your life is you need to write down your thoughts about God. Because here's the, here's the truth. As you grow, your thoughts about God grow also. You need to write them down. So number one, you need to know whose you are. That's how you start to put the shoes on. Number two, you need to know who you are. Who are you? Who are you? Well, my last name's Tyler, but I'm not a Tyler no more. And when the cops pull me over, I try to convince them of that. <laughs> I'm a Boudreaux. <laughs> it's not what your license says, my heavenly name. <laughs> You need to know who you are. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Who are you? You're brand new. You're brand new. You got that new car smell. Come on, somebody. Your life used to stink and now it smells good. You're a brand new person. The old life is gone. So why do we keep dragging it around? Like an old sack of dead crawfish. Why we keep dragging it around? A new life has begun. <laughs> Why is that so hard to believe? Why do we have such a hard time living new? Watch this. The day, the moment, the minute, the second you gave your life to Jesus, you became brand new. The old is gone. From that moment on, the only person that reminds you of your past is the devil and people around you. You're brand new. That old life is gone. The new one has begun. Why? Why is it so hard to believe? Why is it so hard to live that way? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says this. He says, but he says, I'm gonna give you the end of it. He says, for we, but we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Hello, Christian. You don't have the old mind. You have the mind of Christ. You might need to start declaring that to yourself in the mirror until you start to believe it. I've got the mind of Christ. When I got saved, when I was born again, I got a new heart and I got a new mind. My old thinking is gone, but why do I still think old ways? I'm going to show you. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We got that one or no? Okay. I didn't know if we got it in between. Just didn't want to make a fool of myself twice in a row. Romans 12, 2, listen to this. Paul tells us, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you 
think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So he says, don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world anymore. When he saved you, you were supposed to stop acting like the world. Stop copying the world. Don't copy and paste the world anymore. You don't need to be like them. You don't need to talk like them. You don't need to act like them. You don't need to respond like them. You're set apart. You're sanctified. You're pulled out of it and set apart. You're brand new. You're not that anymore. You're this now. You can't keep living like the devil and wanting to experience heaven at the same time. You can't copy the world and be a Christian at the same time. Because then the world goes, well, Jesus ain't real. Because you ain't changed. I'm not talking about long dresses and no makeup and honey buns in your hair. I'm not talking about that kind of change. You can wear regular dresses. You can wear pants. You can wear short sleeve shirts and shorts. It don't matter. I'm not talking about your clothes. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about your mind. That needs to be brand new. Because some people try to dress different to pretend like everything's changed on the inside when it didn't. God's going to change the inside. It'll affect the outside. But we got an issue. <laughs> we got an issue with that. Because the world looks like it's having fun. The Bible says it. The Bible says sin's fun for a season. But oh boy, when the fun's over with, So what's our issue? We got a letting problem. Yeah. Biggest word in that whole verse is the smallest word in that verse. L-E-T. We don't like to let God do anything. In fact, most of us are better at resisting God and letting the enemy run havoc in our lives instead of letting God lead us and resisting the enemy. Oh, don't, don't get quiet when I start preaching. I mean, come on now. Come on, we got a letting problem. You got a letting problem, you need to let somebody know. I, I got a letting problem. Sometimes I don't want to do what God says to do. Listen to what it says. But let God transform you into a new person. Let him. How do you let him, Pastor? Good question. Good question. How do you let him? By doing what he says when he says to do it. By doing what when. You know what happens when you do the what when he says to do it? You let him lead you. You let him transform you into a new person. You get set up for an experience that the old life couldn't handle, that you, this new life can handle now. And you go, whoa, this was good. Whoa, I didn't want to do this, but I'm sure glad I let God lead me in this. Come on, some of you need to get some gratefulness in letting God lead you. Here's an indication. When, when, when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something and you automatically get this thing in you, that means you really need to let him do that right now. 
That's your indication. If it makes you nervous, it makes you scared, you start to sweat a little bit, you start to worry about what's going to come, that's when you need to let God do what he's going to do. Amen? Let him transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Paul, Saul, fought one way until he let Jesus lead him, then he fought another way. So you can't get new thoughts while copying the behaviors and customs of this world. You can't live like Satan and expect to experience heaven at the same time. Here's some application. You need to see yourselves through God's eyes, the Bible. You know what this book is? It is a love letter about you. It's a love letter to you. You are all up in this book. From the front page to the last page, it's all about you. You need to see yourself through God's eyes. It'll change how you see yourself. Then you need to listen to what he says, but more importantly, you need to listen to how he says it. I can tell you two or three times in my Christian life that God's actually got strong with me. Only two or three times. The rest of the times, it's been a grace-filled, merciful, drawing-me-in kind of tone, kind of words, kind of voice. That's my experience. Only two or three times did he ever really get strong with me. The rest of the time, how do I know? I had to pay attention to how he was speaking to me. Because for some of you that come from certain religious backgrounds, you think God's got thunderbolts and swords in his hands, and as soon as you mess up, he's going to hit you with one or the other. So every time you hear his word or you hear him speak, it sounds like thunder and lightning. But the reality is that's just religion. The real God that I know speaks with grace and mercy, and it draws you in. Because the last time I read my Bible, it said it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance, not the thunderbolts and lightning. Depends on how you were shaped. Then you need to start speaking what you hear God speaking. This is powerful. Jennifer talked about this last week too. You need to start speaking what you hear God speaking. Because this is what I know as a shepherd. Too many sheep are good at quoting the devil. Oh yeah, I'm just stupid. Who told you that? God don't make stupid. Who told you you were stupid? I'm just, I'm just, I'm always going to be broke. Who said that? God's kids ain't broke. Who are you reciting? Who are you quoting? Who are you repeating? Because that tells me who you're listening to. And it tells me who you're not listening to. My, my marriage is always going to be a wreck. She ain't ever going to get right. Not as long as you keep quoting what the enemy says. Not as long as you keep coming into agreement with him. You're speaking death on life. So you need to start declaring some things. You need to open your mouth, Christian. And you need to declare some things. What do you need to declare? This. This. Not this. Flesh flesh don't get you nowhere. (laughs) The Bible says the wrath of man can never accomplish the will of God. They'll change how you scream at your kids. 
You'll get that later. You need to declare some things, and then you need to experience the blessings of obedience. Yes. So number one, you need to know whose you are. Number two, you need to know who you are. We're putting shoes on. We're getting sure-footed. Number three, you need to know who's with you. Who's with you? I'm not talking about who's, who's responding to your tweets. I'm not talking about who's following you on Instagram. I'm not talking about your friend list on Facebook. Those ain't your friends. Those just all the nosy people you let get into your life. That's all that is. Because they ain't about to show up when you're going through a crisis. They about to gossip about you and that's all they're going to do. So don't be impressed with how many likes you get. You need to spend some time getting you some real friends. Because if you show me your friends, I'll show you what your future looks like. Let me, let me show it to you in a story. Let me, let me show you. Maybe it'll, it'll, God's word always says it better than I do. Mark chapter 2. Let me show you a story. Jesus is in this house and he's teaching. And the house is packed. I mean, they're, they're literally sitting at his feet. The whole building's full. The doors and windows are open and there's people sticking their heads in there trying to hear what Jesus is saying. There's people crowded on the outside trying to get a piece of Jesus. Okay? You get the picture? Verse 3. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Story could have stopped right there. Oh, well, we tried. Oh, girl, I prayed for you, but it didn't work. Oh, man, we asked God, but he didn't show up. They could have stopped right there, but watch. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. What kind of friends you need? You need some friends that will dig the roof open for you. You need some friends that go get some breakthrough for you. You need some friends that won't stop at the first barricade, but they'll press through for you. You need some friends that say, oh, no, baby girl, you ain't going to stay in this shape no more. We're going to get up out of this. That's the kind of friends you need. You need some friends that will tell you the truth. Bro, you whining. Suck it up, man of God. You're feeling sorry for yourself. They dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Watch this. Super powerful. Seeing their faith. His friend's faith. Not his faith. Jesus didn't respond to the guy on the mat's faith. He responded to his friend's faith. Tell me you don't need some good friends in your life. Tell me you might not need to exchange a few friends in your life because you need some friends with some faith. The kind of faith that Jesus will respond to. I'm not talking about old weak religious faith. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Well, we'll just, we'll just have to pray. All we can do is pray. You should have been praying. Right? I need some friends that can feel what I'm going through before I even tell them. Yes. Friends that'll call you up, say, bro, you okay? Yeah, yeah, why? Oh, I don't know, man. I was praying for you and something ain't right. Uh, 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 okay, I know something's not right. <laughs> Jesus, seeing their faith, 
said to the paralyzed man, he got what he got because of his friends. Who's on your side? Who's on your team? Who you going to when life paralyzes you? Who you running to? Who's coming to carry your mat? Because they need to have some faith. The kind that Jesus will respond to. So it don't matter if they're ugly. It don't matter if they're broke. It don't matter if they don't speak right. You need to stop worrying about what people look like before they can be your friend. You need to, you need to stop worrying about what people are like. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And then eventually he said to him, get up and walk. And the guy that got lowered from the roof because of his friends walked out on his own two feet because of his friends. Because of his friends' faith. You need some people on your side. You need some people you can share your deepest, darkest secrets with. I love to see when the body of Christ works. I'm going to tell you what that looks like. When the body of Christ works, I find out after it happened, not before it happened. I find out after somebody's done ministered to somebody else, after it's happened, and I just get to celebrate. I'm not the 911 anymore. Why? Because I'm not supposed to be the 911 anymore. You're the 911 now. So when somebody's hurting, who you going to run to? Who's going to come and get you? Because you can't always get me. Last time I checked, I'm not Jesus. Too big and bald for that. (laughs) Love it. Love it when the body works. I love it to see people who got the right people in their corner, the right people on their side, because life comes, it always comes at you. Who's with you? You seeing it? Maybe you need to get some new friends. <laughs> Maybe you need to check the ones you got. <laughs> hey, you know, I know you go to church, but like, are you like solid? <laughs> just wondering. Like, do you really pray for me or you just say you pray for me? Because you know, it could be a Christian nice thing to do is to say, I'm praying for you. But are you really? <laughs> when I pray for people, I often wonder if it works. You ever do that? You ever lay hands on somebody and go, man, did I have enough faith? <laughs> I prayed for Miss Jean last week, the week before last. You don't mind me sharing this, do you? She testified to me this morning. She was walking up the sidewalk and she, she was like, I said, what's wrong? She said, my, my neck's hurting. It's all stiffed up and I ain't feeling good. You can tell me if I'm wrong. I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, Jesus, your stripes say that she's already healed. So I declare over her today that she is healed in your name. And she told me it was later that week that God started to ease the pain and the stiffness in her neck. Now see, because she told me that, I won't pray for more people. (laughs) It works. (laughs) It's always good when it works, right? It works. Make sense? 
And by the way, it was God who said, it's not good for man to be alone. Ain't no room for mavericks in the, in the Christian life. That independent spirit got to die. I know it's you and Jesus, but he put others in your life too. Because he said it wasn't good for you to be alone. <laughs> you know what he's really saying? You ain't good by yourself. I know you. I made you. So you need to know whose you are. You need to know who you are. You need to know who's with you. And the last one is you need to know how it all ends. How are you going to stand when you know how it all ends? What happens when you die? Oh, what happens when you die? What happens if you go early? What happens if you die in the fight? What happens to you? Do you know? Where are you going to spend eternity? Come on. You better know how it all ends. Because if you're unsure... You're unsure. You live unsure. So many times God gives us the beginning and then he gives us the end. But then there's this whole in between that he doesn't say a whole lot about, right? Remember Abraham? God said, go. Okay, I'll go. Where I'm going? Going to the promised land. Okay, go, leave where I'm at and go to the promised land. He didn't tell him how to get there. He didn't say go right or left, did he? Why? Because the in-between is where, is where the relationship is. How do you get the in-between? How do you get the directions on the in-between? By being in relationship with Jesus. That's why he don't give you the in-between. He wants you to come to him. He wants to be in relationship with you, right? But you need to know how it, is, how it starts, and then you need to know how it ends. Paul knew how it was going to end for him. The Holy Spirit had been warning him that you're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to suffer much. Paul had a pretty good idea he was going to die in Jerusalem. And it didn't stop him from going. Hmm. I think it made him want to go even more. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. Acts chapter 21, his friends are begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Listen to what Paul says. Why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed to Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. What, what? He, not even, I'm not worried about jail. I, I, I'm not even, I'm, I'm looking forward to even dying for Jesus. What causes a man to say that? What causes a man to be that way? His shoes. His shoes. Because Paul had heard the Holy Spirit tell him he was going to suffer. He was not afraid to suffer. He was not afraid of pain. He was not afraid of surrendering. Paul wasn't afraid of the world. He wasn't afraid of the devil. He wasn't afraid of other people. Why? Because he had sure-footedness. He was sure in his footing. He knew how it started, and he knew how it was going to end. He said, you can take my life, and it's going to be even better for me. You take my life, I get an upgrade. How do you get that? Another good question. I believe Paul got it like John said it in 1 John chapter 4. John said, God is love. Powerful sentence. God is love. 
Watch, watch what else he says. God is love, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels, kicks out, throws out like the trash all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Did you get that? Like that's a big deal verse right there. Okay, so let's, let's, God is love. That's who God is. God is love, period. God is love, okay? Okay, so let's establish that. God is love. So we don't have to worry about standing before him one day. Which means this, I can look forward to heaven because I'm not getting judged. My name, J-A-M-I-E, W-R-I-G-H-T, T-Y-L-E-R, was handwritten in his book. That's not so that I can be determined whether or not I get to heaven. That says that I am in heaven. It says also that he gave me his Holy Spirit to guarantee that. So that's done. I'm not worried about getting to heaven and get cracked over the head. If I'm still worried about that, then it shows that I haven't experienced God's perfect love because I'm still afraid to be punished. So now my relationship with God has a lot of fear in it. Oh, did you catch that? It shouldn't have any fear in it. Because his perfect love expels all my fear. Paul had that. Paul wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to die. He wasn't afraid to suffer. He wasn't afraid to walk through pain. He wasn't afraid to live in pain. I'm going to wrap it up with part of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Chapter 1, verse 20. Listen, listen to what Paul says. Ten verses. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful works for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reasons to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. Listen, listen. Above all, powerful words, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven on the earth. 
You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Watch this. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. What? It's a privilege to suffer for Christ? You better believe it is. When you got the right pair of shoes on, you'll understand. We are in this struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past, now that I am still, and know that I am still in the midst of it. How do we get to that place? How do we get to the place where we go, if I die, I die. I live, though. That's that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of stuff. That's that Daniel in the lion's den kind of stuff. You know how they get that? By knowing God. You get that by knowing God. Those are the shoes. That's how you put them on. You ready to put on the right shoes? You ready to stand against whatever comes against you? Lord, I thank you this morning that you give us shoes of the good news, the good news shoes. our confidence comes from what you've done for us what's been established for us it comes from our inheritance it comes because we're adopted it comes because we're chosen and we're loved well loved thank you for the shoes of the good news God, help us to keep those shoes on. Help us to drive spikes in those shoes. And that as every day passes, we get more sure of our footing than we were the day before. And what used to trip us up and slip us up doesn't even bother us anymore. What used to almost destroy us doesn't even bother us anymore. pray for this church, God, that you bring us to the place where not even death is something we're afraid of. That we look at death and we just keep pushing back until we say, until God's done with me, I'm going to keep on pushing. But when he's done with me here, I'm going to get a promotion, an upgrade, 
Help us to understand that, Lord. That there's better days ahead. Oh, there's an eternity ahead. My name's in the book. You don't have an eraser. I'm celebrating that. I rejoice in that. Thank you, Lord. Help us to live like citizens of heaven. We know whose we are, who we are. Help us to choose the right friends. Bring godly people into our lives, God, even our kids' lives. Would you surround them with godly people and would they be a godly friend to somebody else? Thank you that the end is already written. We celebrate in that. We have confidence in that. We sleep good at night because of that. We have a life of peace because of that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.